Welcome to These Lads Are Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalise mental health. Before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. These Lads Are Mental recognises the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders, past and present, and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture, and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. On today's show, we've got Alexandra Hudson. Alex is the recent winner of the Melbourne Raw Festival back in April 2022. In this episode, we deep dive into the life of a comedian, the highs and lows, some of the challenges that they face. And Alex herself is really the hottest thing on the market right now when it comes to comedy. So her story itself is actually really interesting. We think you get a lot out of it. Hi. Hello, Alex. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh my God. I'm just getting dressed. <laughs> it looks like I'm in bed as well. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I've been up since, we've been up since 5.30. Yeah, we've... you would wake up really early. You have Gary there, but I don't know. Is your audio working, Gaz? Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Hi, Hi how you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. You're not the, again, full disclosure, you're not the first comedian that we've had on the show. We've actually had an Irish comedian. Yeah, right. I, I listened to her. Oh, did you? Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, nice to live in a competitive Irish community. <laughs> I'm Irish. half English, I shouldn't say that, but... <laughs> oh, you're half English, are you? <laughs> so I'm really sorry about that. Also, no no pressure with her, but her podcast is technically our most popular podcast. Oh. <laughs> number one. <in> the <laughs> it's number one in the charts. Yeah. She- yeah, she's been doing it a lot longer than me. She can have that. Oh, here come the excuse. <laughs> she's not the raw comedy national winner, is she? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was amazing, actually. I know every time I see something come out from you now, you're winning a competition or you're headlining some place. Yeah, wow. I'm not quite, I'm definitely not at the headliner level, but I've been doing some really epic gigs, which right. are really fun. And yeah, it just keeps rolling one thing to the next thing so it's I didn't expect any of this and it's just been like the wildest thing I've ever done ever and I'm just in it now so I don't really understand anything beyond that I'm just one thing to the next like constantly just looking at my calendar oh what do I have to do this week okay sick work out what I have to do for that and then just hopefully it goes well and then just on to the next thing. So it's just, ah, insane. Are you coming to Sydney anytime soon? Yeah, I'm actually flying there in three hours. Oh, oh. really? You got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got a gig here, I take it? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm co-hosting on Triple J oh. on Friday. Lovely. Yeah, I'm co-hosting with Hobber and Hing. Michael Hing asked me to do it because I've done a few things with him and he's the co-host of the drive show. Yep. Yeah, it's International Cripple Day, International Day of People with a Disability on the weekend. So oh. I'm doing it as a part of that. So nice. That we good. Exciting. Yeah. So I'm going in there tomorrow to do some stuff with them and then on the radio on Friday from three to five thirty. Oh, cool. cool. I need to give a little listen. Wow. Yeah. And then I'm just gonna do a couple gigs tonight. While I'm here. So. What about you going to do gigs? Uh, I'm doing one at the Chippo in Chippendale. Yeah, Chippendale, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, just an open micy situation, pretty chill. Gonna yeah. Try some newer stuff, see how it goes in Sydney. Yeah, good. Gary's a big comedy fan. I love that story that you told us, Gary, of a Scottish guy that you went to see. And then he had a few beers in him and then he got up on stage and then the happy true was joke, he forgot it. Oh, oh yeah in Glasgow it was a, quite a famous actually comedy club called The Stand I've heard about it yeah yeah it's pretty yeah. famous really good spot quite intimate uh, quite ruthless as well but it gets quite good comics going there but on a Tuesday they do a thing called Raw Comedy Night and it's like a pound to get in or maybe like two pound now with inflation but it used to be like a pound and, it, uh, you go, and it'd be uh, a complete lottery of who you get it could be there's usually say 10 acts yeah. You'd always get the MC who was obviously good or well, fairly well established. And you yeah. usually get a final act who was pretty well established. But the rest of it, it, sometimes it was just all amateurs or people doing it for the very first time. 
Yeah. And then sometimes like Frankie Boyle would just stand up on the stage and just by complete luck. And one of the guys, as Neil was explaining, yeah, he just he stood up <laughs> and he got through. He told a few jokes and he bombed a little bit, but the crowd were like cheering him, come on, let's go. Let's yeah. And he starts getting halfway through a joke and he goes, oh, and then I, f- oh, I forgot. <laughs> and then everyone starts going, like, oh, no. Nah. And then he goes, I can't believe this is happening again. <laughs> that is my thing. And then the, you were saying the music came on then or something? Ah, it was like that song, Reet Petite, by Jackie Wilson. And that just popped on. And it's just, oh. yeah, that's enough, mate. <laughs> that is my biggest fear. I've had, I had a moment at the comedy store in Sydney, I don't know, four months ago. And I just, because you say the same kind of thing. And because I'm new, I'm not, I don't have a lot of material, so I'm doing the same sets over. And I had this moment on stage like in the middle where I couldn't remember if I'd already said it or if I was about to say it <laughs> yeah. and I was just like for a split second I was just like oh fuck oh fuck what is <laughs> and I just was like you just say okay. it and I and luckily as I was saying it I'm like oh I haven't said this okay cool. <laughs> but it was just because sometimes you're just in autopilot and you're just like saying stuff and you, often and I'm always thinking about other stuff as I'm talking so sometimes you can be like really present and other times you're just thinking about other things and it's an automatic thing so it's a really odd feeling sometimes Mm. yeah I I get that I have a really bad habit people used to rip about me because I'd retell stories all the time and someone's like mate you've already told me that story you said the same thing the weekend I'm like you've told me this like 25 minutes ago is that yeah. is that because you don't have many funny stories, so you've just got to so cycle through them? <laughs> like, wait, did I tell you about this one thing that happened to me? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have a fledgling comedy career. It's funny you mentioned because I also listened to another podcast, which is comedians in the UK. It's a football, like a soccer related one. Yeah. They, one of the episodes that I was listening to them only very recently. They were talking about the exact same thing that you were just talking about, Alex, where you go into this autopilot. Uh, the guy Josh Whittacombe who's this like really hilarious yeah, I know. yeah he's so oh my god he's, he's just so a genius like everyone that comes out of his mouth is just so funny and he was he was comparing it to like how you when you drive home sometimes and when you get to that last stretch and you just that, yeah you don't even remember driving and then you, you snap out of it and go geez was I driving there and he said it gets a bit like that when you're on stage sometimes. And yeah, hopefully then the audience aren't going to go, hey, you told us that at the beginning, mate. But that's a pretty good segue because if anyone hasn't guessed already, like Alex is a comedian, our guest on this week's show. But if anyone that maybe hasn't come across you before, Alex, do you want to give us the lowdown of who you are, what's been happening for you? It sounds like the last couple of years have just gone to a whole nother level, but even a little bit of a background about who you are and where you're situated and what your story is yeah so my name my full name the my what I use on stage is Alexandra Hudson I live in East Ballina on the Northern Rivers Bundjalung country I've been living in this area for 12 years and about yeah two or three years ago I did a workshop in Byron about run by this local woman named Mandy Nolan And I did a comedy workshop with her after two friends suggested that I do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. And it's like a rite of passage for anyone in the Northern Rivers, I think. If you want to get into comedy, you do her course. And then, yeah, basically I did that. And I didn't really do anything with it for about six months. I told myself I'd do a gig by the start of 2020. And then lockdown happened. And I was just sitting at home in East Ballina and I was like, fuck, I'm never going to do this unless I just find a way to do it. And luckily there was a local thing happening where you could go and practice material in front of other open mic comedians in the local area. And you could just, it was like, it's called shed comedy. And basically I got into that. And so I started going there once a month. And the guy told me, he's like, oh, yeah, you should try to bring something new every time you come. So I'd write new jokes like every month, which was I was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I guess I'll just try to write this. And some of it I'd just be like, it'd be like this half-baked thing where I don't even have an ending for it. But I just go, oh, maybe it'll just come to me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Like I'd just be like, is this how you write a joke sort of thing? Like I'd just wing it. 
And then, yeah, two guys in that asked me if I wanted to do a show in Lismore. And I did that in July 2020. And they gave me like a 10 minute spot. And I was like, whoa, like, I don't even have, I don't even know what I have to fill 10 minutes. So 10 minutes seems like a lot on stage. 10 minutes is a lot in comedy. And especially if you're not doing well, it's an eternity. It's great if you're crushing and you're really good and it flies by, but if you're not very good, it's it's a nightmare. So I think I my first gig, so my first proper gig, I think I did eight and a half minutes. And I literally was just like, I do not know how this is gonna go. And surprisingly, people laughed at me and from there, I just, I was really fortunate. Like I started doing comedy in COVID and like a lot of people, and I think a lot of people in the arts were struggling and I was having the opposite experience where there was a moment when the borders closed to Queensland. So a guy had was running a gig in Lennox and lost half his act, half his lineup to oh, COVID. Wow. So then suddenly I'm getting an opportunity to perform. And that was like my, I think it was like my fourth gig. And I'm doing like a gig in Lennox with a few local pros in the area. And then from there, it just started like, it just went bonkers. Like people would ask me to do things and I was just like, fuck, I've got to write material to make sure I'm funny. And yeah, and that's, now so now it's taken me earlier this year in April I won I was the joint winner at the Melbourne Comedy Festival Raw National Competition which isn't the national open mic competition that they've been running for I don't know since the 90s and it's like a lot of really well-known Australian comedians have come through there and gone on to do some really big things and one of the prize for winning is they fly you to Edinburgh and you perform at So You Think You're Funny at the Fringe Festival. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So we got to spend, I spent two weeks at the Fringe just watching shows and doing spots and, yeah, it was, like, wild. I was just like, I can't even believe I'm here. Wow. Yeah, the Fringe Festival was big, man. That's yeah. Good. And it was unreal. Like, it looks like the most soul-destroying and exhilarating experience all together in one yeah i wonder with scotland because you guys have such a scottish people would have a real sense of humor right even thinking of irish english and but scots would always be like i'd say it's probably a i don't know correct me if i'm wrong but it must be if you can make in scotland you must be doing pretty good right because i'd say the standards are quite high when it comes to humor why is that me or i don't know i don't know who's well, gary what's your reckon i mean I can only again i can't say i'm not a comedian but i think the i say like if you were somewhere like america or somewhere i feel like jokes might land a little bit <laughs> well the humor's <laughs> a little bit different i think but in scotland i would say i mean this is a very blanket statement but everyone does have a lot of banter about them scottish people because the humor's quite harsh everyone's quite likes a bit of harsh humour, uh, quite a lot of dark humours in Scotland as well. No one takes themselves too serious. So yeah. Yeah, as you're brought up, it may, may be changed now in the modern era, but growing up, people always just slag each other. Yeah. And that's just the way it's always been. So that comes with humour. So you just yeah. take things a little bit more light-hearted way. Glasgow or is it Edinburgh where they have the cone on that statue in the city? Glasgow, that's Glasgow. Glasgow, and then they tried to take it down and it got put back up, so I take it down. Yeah, that no, was just stays down there, right? Yeah, they said, fuck it, it just stays there because, like... <laughs> That's <laughs> Which is also, even though it might be a lion's den almost for comedians, it also is probably a place where you can probably get away with saying more than you could somewhere else. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Scotland, like how you're describing it, sounds like the Brisbane scene to me. All right, okay. Brisbane yeah. is notorious for being really difficult especially if you're like from Sydney or Melbourne. I think it's typically Melbourne is seen as like having the nicest kind of open, supportive kind of audiences and Sydney's kind of second behind them. But then Brisbane, it's just its world of its own. It's kind of just like how they are in the world, basically. (laughs) And you can just be like, it can, they can, they don't care who you are even. They just, if you're not funny... Yeah. and they don't think you're funny they won't give you anything 
and like within that they're really supportive and the scene is really great and some of arguably the best kind of comedians are coming through there like I that's where I started because once I yeah like a lot of people I got a lot of support early and basically started gigging pretty early like 2020 in Brisbane and then from there like that just made me a much better comedian so much faster because you just have to be really quick and get them on side quickly and like you were saying about Scotland I have a really dark sense of humor and I'm talking I talk about being disabled and like my opening joke is really hectic (laughs) and I don't really let people off the hook either I really lean into making them feel uncomfortable because for me that's more enjoyable and there's a much bigger payoff at the end and I think Brisbane is a lot is is good like you if you can work out how to be funny in Brisbane you're you can be funny anywhere no yeah that's good that's good it's a good uh, litmus test really in it so if if you can do Brisbane you're thinking Sydney and Melbourne's going to be a little bit easier yeah I love going down it's sometimes you can feel really demoralized by a gig in Brisbane and then go to Sydney and you're like oh (laughs) (laughs) someone said that as well I don't know was it Emma or someone else saying that she would deliver material in one venue drive half an hour down the road and deliver material and get crickets and it just doesn't make any sense there's no you can't explain what makes something funny on the night some nights you have and they feel like magic and you're like this is the best feeling ever and then other nights you're like i want to borrow into a hole and never (laughs) comedy again in my life (laughs) but i think it's interesting that because Obviously, when you go to comedy gigs, like an actual stadium tour or a massive comedian, everything's funny because that whole room is filled yeah. with their fans. But when you're starting out, you're literally touring around trying to find your fans. And yeah. for all the, those nights where you feel like, oh, I could just burrow into a hole and hide and don't want to do comedy again. There might be one person in that crowd, though, who thought you were hilarious. Yeah. So when you do get bigger, they'll follow you to that next gig. And it's trying to grow that. I think that's not much be so difficult. Cause you have to bomb to find your fans almost. Oh, yeah. And I think as well, like you have to bomb to, it makes the really good, it makes you feel confident. If you can get through a bomb and just know that it's like not you necessarily, or maybe it's something you still need to work out, or it's just if you, it makes you a better performer having done really bad rooms because it makes you just want to back yourself more and be like, okay, how can I work this out? How can I make this really funny for you? And there's always going to be like, we we perform in spaces where there's like sport on in the background or people are playing pool. And in Brisbane, where there's people in the crowd vomiting because they're drinking fish <laughs> bowl, like cocktails and all sorts of stuff. Like it's sometimes it's just really Definitely. rowdy and like you're lucky. Yeah, sometimes you're even lucky to just get off stage and be okay. Like I don't get to... I've never really got heckled too much because I think people are scared to heckle the people. <laughs> yeah, I can, just, I can imagine there's some dingy RSL somewhere in Queensland going, oh, fuck <laughs> but, yeah, if you think about Melbourne, though, Melbourne is like a real live giggy kind of scene generally. Yeah. So you can imagine there's way more opportunities almost there as well. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. Even, even the comedy gig, like I've been to that one that you mentioned in Melbourne as well. It's quite popular there, which is good. But Wait, I'm sorry. sorry. No, you go, you go. I was just going to ask you, where is the biggest place you've bombed? What was your biggest bomb? I've only, to be I've only bombed like a handful of times, but I'd say the worst one was a sports club on the Gold Coast. And it was just like a big, vast space where for me it was just like the jokes were going out and just nothing was coming back. And this space was just like this sports bar. So there were people like and having dinner and like. On the pokies. Oh, yeah. The, the pokies were like right next to it. So it just, even we tried to get the audience to sit together and they wouldn't. Oh, no. All just spread out in this. Mom, listen. Like, That's tough. Like, vast empty space and it's Mm. it was just like oh okay and I advice I was given like was like you can acknowledge it once and then just move on because everyone knows you're bombing you don't need to keep talking about it so I 
my thing is I'll just finish my set and be like, okay. Yeah, it's interesting because like even with hecklers, I was Jimmy Carr, like I love him, he's class. And mm. how he deal my favorite thing about him is how he deals with hecklers. Yeah. Like sometimes it's the funniest part of the gig. And I think how on earth can he be so on the ball with coming back about I can't I'm just trying, I'm trying to remember now and some of the ones he had, but I'm like, she's like the genius behind being able to take something like that, run with it, flip it, and then come out on top. Like it really is like a, a master craft, isn't it? I'm still scared to interact with the audience too much, but I'm like, mm. I love hearing shit like that. <laughs> I'm like, I want to do that. I had a thing happen on in Tweed Heads. We were doing like a Sydney comedy showcase tour thing. And it was just like the rowdiest tweed. Tweed's like on the New South Wales Queensland border. It's just a rowdy town. And it was the day <laughs> it was the day that the Queen had died and they had we were performing in this like ex services club venue thing and they had her big photo on the screens outside and we're just like, Oh, this gig is gonna just be awful. <laughs> and the MC was getting heckled before people were even sitting down because the show had a they were really strict about when the show had to start. So people were still making their way to their seats. And the MCs just getting heckled as people are walking to their seats. And then there was this one woman who was heckling all through the show to everyone. And then she didn't do it to me. And later on, after the show had finished, like my the other comics and I were walking to the pub and we ran into her on the street. And she's just, oh yeah, like I I I do comedy and all this stuff. And we're like, why were you heckling? And she's going on and on. And then she gets to me and she's, I didn't heckle you because, and she paused. I'm oh, thinking <laughs> because I'm disabled. And she's because you won raw. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like bullshit. Like you, you, we yeah. know there's a line and people are scared. Uh, a shit bag guy to bomb in front of people. Does that have any impact on your mental health? No, as I said, I think in the moment it can make you want to borrow into the ground and never do it again. Yeah. But the thing about comedy is, I was thinking about this earlier, Neil, when you talk about doing the same story over and over again. Mm. That's what you'd actually be a great comedian because you end up saying the same stuff over a hundred, two hundred times, whatever. Uh-huh. So it's really you might have bombed on that particular night but you might have done it 50 more times in another room and crushed it. So I think you don't take the bomb. You don't take it as a real, I feel like if you're bombing every day, that would definitely have an impact on your mental health. But typically if you're crafting your material and working on it and developing it, a bomb might just be something that happens once a month or every few months or whatever, like, they're just a part of it and I think they do actually make you a better performer and I think yeah you gotta just there's so much about comedy I think you gotta one I don't think everyone in comedy I think has a lot of mental health stuff probably going on we're not the most well-adjusted normal people in the world (laughs) which I like Bill Burr is a perfect example of that so I think it's just for me it's just like managing your mental health and going okay like you are obviously you're in a space where if people don't find you funny they don't laugh and it's that's what you need in comedy so I think it can be really challenging for your mental health definitely because you're always constantly in front of people getting tested and tried and being like is this good just putting yourself out there a lot but I think it just I found it's made me a more confident person and I love being in the space of comedy and like when a gig goes well it's there's nothing better than that it's just like the rush you get is just oh like when and I know now as well when I've got a joke I'm like oh my nan I've got more in common with my nan and you know it's really great because she also likes to share her endone with me (laughs) and I know if they laugh at that they're gonna laugh at everything I say and that's just like me in the beginning I'm just like oh cool they're on side already so that's like the rest of it's easy but you but you've flipped it on its head really haven't you like you've mentioned your your disability but if anything you've used that to 
I don't think you like your advantage, but that's like who you are and you really yeah. lean into that and in everything you do. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how that kind of forms some of your comedic act? Yeah, so I was born sandwiched between my brother and my sister. As a result of that, they gave me brain damage. <laughs> that's not true. But I basically... <laughs> Always blame the sibling. <laughs> their fault so in my set I call myself a cripplet but yeah so basically I was born with a neurological condition called cerebral palsy so it's a it's a condition that affects the way your brain so I've got like brain damage in one part of my brain but it also affects like my coordination the way my brain communicates with my muscles like it's a really weird kind of thing like my body just does weird shit all the time and so a lot of what I talk about is like how I experience the world through that lens like I I do jokes about walking and people are like why are you talking about walking but it's because walking for me has been such a point of my life where I've tried to walk normally and never and I'm always thinking about I don't I walk but I I like I have this like love hate thing with it like I hate to do it it's good for me I'm not very good at it, but I'm good enough at it. But I hate, like I walk, I live on the near the beach and I do this walk every few days where I walk to the end of a break wall. And I just don't get the point. Like people walk for exercise at this, to the end of the break wall. And it just, there's no end. Like you literally just have to turn around. You're telling back, back home. And walk the way you came. I'm like, why do people like do this? I just hate walking. I'm just like, oh. I just can see my house like so far <laughs> off into the distance and I'm just like, why did I do this? <laughs> so that's a lot of kind of just like my observations and the things I experience that I think are funny. Yeah. That's- I read in an article, I think you're featured in Mamma Mia, where you were talking about how when people do recognize it, it almost is better for you in terms of how you do your comedy because what you were saying, if walking is a challenge, you might not be walking on stage. So people might go, what is she talking about? Yeah. Have you, how have you juggled that? Do you have to like say things straight off the bat so people know or? No, so I deliberately don't. My first joke is about my siblings giving me brain damage. So I immediately <laughs> like talk about that I'm a cripple but I don't tell them what it is. Yep. Okay. And I and I deliberately do that. I there's only one point when I go like when I then talk about the Queensland sex joke where I actually explain like the condition I have. But that's four and a half minutes in sort of thing. But what happened what it was funny because I typically like in a smaller gig I need help onto the stage. So the MC will usually just help pull me up sort of thing, give me an arm basically. So people have that instant recognition, oh, there's something not quite right with her. I've done a few gigs where I've walked out and it's a big stage and so they haven't seen me come up the stairs or anything from behind the curtain and I've walked out so confidently and then halfway through my set I'm like oh my god they don't know that I'm a cripple and they're freaking out they're like why is she talking like this like (laughs) they're already like not sure if they can laugh so it's (laughs) oh no what did she say so now in a big gig I get someone to walk me to the microphone and then just so and then at the end I walk off and I don't say I walk off on my own and I'm often thinking I wonder if they're realizing that I do it also because it it make I know I I like making them feel a little bit uncomfortable Mm. for me the payoff is a lot better if they're already if they're a little scared of me (laughs) yeah they're looking for that relief yeah, yeah. I was okay. I can laugh. I think. You're like, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> how you do that because it's very <laughs> unique, and I think that shows. And I think your rise to success of the last few years, how you deliver that, and all what you've just said to us, how you tell the jokes, how yeah. you strategize, what goes first, what you do say, what you don't say. Yeah, it's really brilliant how it all gels together, and I think as a listener or as a watcher it do, I can everything you just described there yeah. I certainly like relate to that let's say it's being an audience member and the jokes are just like that Queensland joke is just 
Yeah. Kind of, I'm not saying it's like your thing, but like when I, when Gary and I were first chatting about you coming on the show, I was like, you've got to listen to this joke. It's just, it's so funny. And we will, we'll play it in the, yeah, cool. in the edit so people can listen to it. But it's genius. And yeah, how do you find, that's obviously taking you time. Has it taken you gigs to master that art? And do you find, sure. are people, does the reception vary or do you think overall people are actually quite warm and open and authentic about it? No, it, it definitely varies. Like I did a gig in Ballina at the RSL, I think called The Big Gig, and it's a month long, it's every month and they get some really big names coming through, like Tom Gleason, who's a national, he's like on a show on the ABC called Hard Quiz, he's the host of that, and he's like a proper well-known he won the gold logie i think two years ago and anyway, he, so he often headlines it it's a month it's every month in ballina it's so a free gig so it sells like everyone comes but it's in an rsl so the demographic is like anywhere from 30 to kind of 70 ish and i i've i did that gig for the first time in june and i was like okay, there were just moments of complete silence because I think they were just not sure. <laughs> so, like, oh. so they'd laugh and then they'd be really quiet and then they'd laugh and then they'd be really quiet. I was going to say, though, depending on the RSL audience, they might just be asleep or like... Yeah, well, that's also true. Give them a nod. Like. Yeah, I think sometimes people are not sure. and But typically, like I love performing in... There's some really great little kind of dungeony clubs around the place that are epic to perform in because just everything you say they're just into from the first second and it's just like the atmosphere is just like made for comedy and people so those gigs are really good but I definitely have moments where people are like oh god and so it it varies a lot but typically it's a really good response I usually get people on side yeah I think I think what helps so I was gonna say I think a big thing that I mean, from anybody doing public speaking things, I've always been taught is the likability factors when you can make fun of yourself yeah. very quickly. That instantly psychologically puts people on board. If I say yeah. something about how I look or what I'm wearing, yeah. and a lot of comedians, sometimes you know yourself and you they walk onto the stage and you look a bit funny. Just yeah. you're laughing before they've even said a word. Yeah, That is the best possible start. And then they'll comment on it. And then you instantly want to like them because you feel like, oh, they, they don't, they're not exactly loving themselves. They'll make it poking yeah. themselves. So they've already won you over. Yeah. And I think that's, I won't, it's like, I won't ever make fun of like my disability in the sense of putting myself down or anything. But I'm definitely a, a very much aware that I'm a weird and do shit in a weird way and see things in a, even just how I move through the world is not normal. Yeah. And I can talk about that stuff because I know it. Yeah, it's just, it's true. And it, and some of the shit is funny to me. So, and What have the challenges been like, for even in your life with cerebral palsy? Or has that, do you feel like where you are now, it's given you this amazing platform in life? Or Yeah. I think actually the biggest thing for me was mental health stuff around having a disability and growing up with a disability growing up I didn't want to be disabled and I almost actively tried not to be for the and it wasn't until I reached my 20s my early 20s that I'd always known that how I am is actually okay but I just it was at odds to what I was experiencing so it took me a few more years to actually realize, no, I need to actually work on this stuff and work through it to be okay in this world. And to because I'm going to be like this forever and the world isn't changing quickly. So I just have to like learn how and develop coping strategies to exist in this world. So for me, it was like, in my late 20s, I started seeing a psychologist regularly and working through stuff that I'd been through. Like I've had quite a few surgeries from when I was really young to in my early 20s and all these sort of like medicalized trauma things. I'm, I get, it's funny to me because in some spaces I'm really self-conscious and then in other spaces I'm really confident and I'm an overly confident kind of 
extroverted person and then other times I want to just shut down and just not leave my room because for whatever external factor that may have triggered something in me I'll be like oh no I need to shut down but for me it was like finding that space of finding someone like a, a professional a psychologist that I could meet with on a regular basis and talk to and so when I first started seeing a psychologist when I think I was 27 and I'm now 35 I was like seeing him once a fortnight almost and crying constantly and just feeling sad and all these things and then now I like look at my life and I see him maybe once a month or every two months depending on what's happening in my life and I just can't I almost can't believe that this is where it's led me to. And I definitely attribute it to managing my mental health and making myself be like, oh, I'm okay as a disabled woman. I'm this, my body and how I move through the world is okay and important and valuable. And I think that's given me all the opportunities I now am seeing. And it's just like in comedy, and comedy was a really cool thing for me because I realized like I've never really felt comfortable in any particular space and I'm but like com- when I'm up on stage performing I own that space that's mm. my space that I can decide what people know about me yeah I'm not just walking down the street and some guys saying shit or whatever or mm. someone's questioning something or yeah so that for me was like a really cool thing to come out of com- like to come out of comedy and that realization and that journey like of men like fi- finding because I I've always struggled with I've always felt like my struggle with mental health is simply because I'm disabled and if I weren't disabled I maybe wouldn't have as many of the struggles mentally as I do because I do think deep down I am a very like optimistic happy person but it's just through the course of my life that's not really part of the course for a person who grows up with a disability there's a lot of trauma and identity stuff and denial and like rejection and exclusion so I think that for me was just like having to like have a space where I could talk about those things and rationalize those things and take the onus off me and put it onto like the external world was like the biggest kind of and yeah like I get a lot of I get a lot of liberation from actually having a disability because I'm I can do things on my own terms because the way we perceive disability is like we, we get celebrated for doing the most mediocre things almost because people can't believe we actually can do stuff <laughs> so the bar is so low for us that it's been really like a big liberation for me oh I can work it out and do this on my own terms I think that's a brilliant segue into one of the questions we've got because uh, when we're doing some research on your background etc that one of the phrases I seen you use was inspiration porn yeah so I watched a few of your, your, all the sets that I could find online so I've also was laughing away and then I read your a few articles in Inspiration Palm, and I was like, oh, I'm actually guilty of that straight away. But then mm. I was thinking, oh, good honor. Like you've wrote a book recently, I've seen that as well. But at the same time, very admirable what you've achieved. Can you explain a bit more what I've just rambled on around regarding Inspiration Palm? <laughs> yeah, so Inspiration Palm is just this idea that anything a disabled person does is like, it's viewed through this lens of disabled people struggle so much. And, oh, their life is so hard. So anything they do is considered, like, really triumphant or and then in turn, like, inspiring. And there's a classic meme. I think it's, like, a disabled... It's a little girl and she's got two... She's, like, an amputee and she's got two blades on. And it just just says something like, what's your excuse? It's just this idea that her life must be so difficult and yet she's out there giving it a go, basically. So it's used as this tool to inspire non-disabled people. And I had this classic experience happen when I was working at Woolies and I was cleaning up a spill of washing powder and a guy approached me and he's chatting to me and he's praising me and 
really just interested in I'm like bro I'm just cleaning up up the hill (laughs) but yeah anyway later on my boss comes over to me and she's he's from the local paper (laughs) he thinks you're really impressive because he's noticed that I have CP and he's she's he wants to write an article about you I cannot wash (laughs) brother and I'm just like wow I can clean spills (laughs) that I created and so I think that's the thing is we're seen and but the issue is we're seen as like remarkable but it's like we exist in a world that's not built for us so of course people are gonna and we're often segregated and excluded and we're not necessarily visible in our community so these things aren't thought of so these ideas are just like perpetuated I will say it was like a really funny thing for me Because everyone, like, you know, public speaking is, I think, a lot of people's number one fear. And so a lot of people would come up to me after the show and be like, you're so inspiring. (laughs) And then I had a non-disabled friend tell me that happens to her too. So I was like, oh, I'm being like really angry at these people. And I was like, oh, wait, okay, it's just a comedy thing. I had to pull back and be like, okay, so I shouldn't have told that lady off. (laughs) (laughs) where do you think because i was yeah i I used to work with special olympics which was sports for people with intellectual disability and i was guilty of going in for the interview for the job i was like i'm not qualified like how do i thought you competed did you not sorry (laughs) i didn't make it good enough (laughs) i wish i I came fourth place (laughs) but and then I'm quite, you know, like what you were saying, Alex, extrovert as well and gregarious. So you just throw yourself in there. And what I learned in the course myself and then end up going and speaking to schools and, and so forth about special Olympics is that you don't need to do anything else. Like you don't have to act differently to someone who has special needs, for example. You just be yourself and they're themselves and it shouldn't even be a thing. Yeah. And, and what used to really bug me about it, sometimes people say, oh god I feel so sorry for them or things like this or I wonder what their life is like I'm not, like anyone that I met especially the happiest people I've ever met in my life and they used to bring so much joy like to to me and like I used to think it was the best job I've ever had in my life I was so lucky to even be there and have the privilege and they competed like just like anybody else won medals trained hard yeah. all those kind of and so I was trying to think do you think I mean, we're trying to solve this massive question here. But like, what is the solution with all this? Is it just that there is, it isn't a thing and that we can just talk about? It? It's a little bit like mental health, maybe, when the stigma around it. If we just talked about it daily, yeah. it would be this thing, right? Yeah. I think a lot of it is like representation and visibility in the community, in mediums like TV, news. If we're just included in any aspect of any life, like it just normalizes it like at the moment we're just like so separate almost and yeah and very much like mental health it's like the more you talk about it and destigmatize it and the more visible it is in our community then mm. the less yeah like it's yeah. great it's great to be celebrated like who doesn't love that but it's just yeah. we don't want to be celebrated just because you think of us in a certain way so therefore everything we do is amazing it's no I want it's like sometimes it's hard to tell like if someone's actually genuinely and I feel I actually feel this pressure sometimes I have to be funnier than a non-disabled person because I don't want people to think that they've just given me this spot yeah and I think a lot of people who are disadvantaged or marginalized feel that is oh it's almost like this thing of I have to work harder because otherwise people are going to think they just gave it to me because they're like ticking a box or yeah you've got to prove yourself yourself. but I think it's just the more that like things like accessibility get addressed and we're visible in the community and yeah in like tv and all sorts of things where we're typically not seen much all those things will help to overcome this idea of like how we actually are in the world and overcome this yeah like the inspiration thing and even the pity and there's a lot of stuff like even all the mental health stuff I've been through it's not because I'm disabled 
it's because of how disability is treated within this country. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's a really like, good I love being disabled. And like now I get to tell com jokes on a national stage in Melbourne and win a national competition. Like I think that's every male comedian's dream. <laughs> yeah. That is unbelievable. <laughs> it is. That's the with the, the TEDx talk that I mentioned already. Yeah. I, as I say that I, when I first seen you done a TEDx talk I thought that's, that's brilliant and then when I read your caption you put on Instagram yeah I found it really interesting just to see regarding like how it became because a lot of people I speak to in the sort of world of entrepreneurship or leadership that is one of those like milestones people like to have is I want to do a TED talk yeah could you maybe talk us through your experience so I think for me like it, I, like I'll say it was definitely an experience I'm glad I did it um, and I'm so grateful that I was given the opportunity because I was able to like really delve into the Queensland joke and kind of these ideas that I've talked about on this, which is attitudes and kind of exclusion that exists that kind of has made this law still exist. But for me, it's also like it's it was it's not a comedy space, and just ha- for me. I, things I can't explain like sometimes I'm just really self-conscious if I know there's 300 people staring at me in a really intimate space and I'm about to be a bit like and I'm already feeling a bit intimidated and my like as a response my my kind of brain goes into overdrive and then my it does weird shit to my body like it's just sending messages like so my leg muscles will like contract so even and it happens in comedy like sometimes I'll be just swaying I hold on to a mic stand and I'll just be like swaying on it because my leg muscles are just like contracting and to the point where I can't and sometimes I just can't switch it off because it's just like happening and I'm having to like deliver this thing so I think that for me was already a factor and then I touched on in my Instagram post which was like we performed at the Byron Community Theatre, which is a beautiful space and it's a beautiful performance space, but it's quite inaccessible mm. as a as a performer to navigate like from the backstage, from the green room to the stage to the like, yeah, to just get around. So you have to go up and down like a narrow spiral metal staircase. And so for me, it was just like, the day was quite chaotic there were a lot of speakers there were a lot of performers all in the green room so it was even just like finding a quiet space to go so like in the moment it was just like a kind of overwhelming and it was a lot of work like it was like six weeks of just like learning a TED talk basically and so I think at the end like I was just relieved it was over yep even just my I walked off stage and I just wasn't super happy with how it came like how I delivered it and I think that was just me like it wasn't uh, the response I got was still really great and everyone gave me awesome feedback but just in my head I was just like no I didn't like that what did I do here I spoke too quickly and another thing with CP if you're nervous you talk really fast and I think it's just a thing like and I don't think it's just a CP thing but I think it happens to a lot of people oh yeah I do it all the time Honestly. Where you get nervous and you just hear yourself talking. Where, yeah. Whereas like this, I was just like, fuck, I'm, yeah. Like I, I was just really aware of like how anxious it made me. And then when I got off stage, it was almost like this relief of, and I, I did, I just like burst into tears and it took me about a half an hour to be okay again. And it was just like a relief of, oh, I don't know what that was. And my friends were there and they were like, no, it was really good. Don't be hard. And I'm fortunate that I have like mental health strategies in place. So I was able to like not go too far down into things and like really like hate on it and stuff. And it's been like a month and a half since I've done it now. So I'm like, I'm in the moment. It was just like as well, like comedy I perform comedy and it's really confident, but that I just felt so outside my comfort zone. And I think part of it was just like having 300 people who they just want to hear this fantastic idea. And they're like, and I'm having, and I'm presenting what I think is actually pretty basic stuff 
you know, oh, disabled people have sex, but there's this law that suggests we don't and all this sort of stuff. And people, I would, sometimes I get annoyed, like, in terms of, like, how far we've progressed as a society that I still, we still have to talk about stuff in term, in disability that's basic, I feel. Yeah. And a lot of other disabled people feel like we should have moved on from stuff. And, yeah, so all those things considered, it was still... I'm really grateful that I've done it. Like my goal with the TED Talk was to get the Queensland, to get it out there more and have it shift it from being like a joke on stage to actually like what it means in reality and how how it means in terms of disability stuff. So I was really happy to have done it. And all in all, like the TED X team were like super supportive and all that sort of stuff like it was a good day it's a funny it's a funny setting for you as well because that t- ted talk how long is a ted talk 10 minutes seven minutes yeah 10 minutes yeah you've yeah. got 10 minutes usually where you're most confident in a room where silence is the worst possible thing for you yeah but as tedx is just going to be all silent wait until you finish the 10 minutes and then you might get yeah. your applause and you, you don't know when it's coming whereas a comedy oh, yeah. No, so I get a feel, back. You get a feel as you go. You go, I didn't land. I can yeah. get a laugh and you can get some momentum. Did yeah. I, I've got no idea how this is going. <laughs> That's tough, man. I, I was lucky. I did have comedy weaved through it. Oh, well. the GLK. Okay, yeah. People were laughing, which is good. Yeah, okay. But it was still just, it's still a quite serious. And I'm like talking about things that people don't even, they're like, I can't believe this exists. And I'm just like. When's it live? I'm not sure. It's got to be soon. I think it's got to be. In the next couple of weeks. I, I was listening to a speaker not long ago on a podcast and he done a TED Talk and he's actually the most popular TED Talk in the world. Uh, and he wow. said when he'd done his, a full year passed and it wasn't live. So he just thought, oh, they must have thought it was crap. <laughs> but then it came out and now it's the most popular one in the world. Whoa. So there you go. No pressure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, just, well, I, just, I just wanted um, to say um, thanks for sharing that, Alex, because I said to, <laughs> the thing that was really ringing home for me there was just uh, thank you for sharing your vulnerability and the realism around that experience because we've, we asked a lot of people, even on this podcast, what does success mean to you? We even asked Michael that last week. And on one face of it, you think being on TEDx is a success, but then what people yeah. don't look at is the real impacts of putting yourself on stage yeah being really vulnerable and that is and I can certainly relate to that because I get social anxiety as well which it's kind of like the more successful you get the worse or the more that's going to be an issue standing in front of a board room or speaking to investors if you do if your business does well you're going to be in those places more often that even thinking about that now gives me the jitters and yeah, that's probably a whole other subject to tackle that. But <laughs> the more success, the more things you have to deal with. And I think this is why mental health stuff is so important. And it should really be a part of everyone's kind of self-care. And that's yeah. how I just, in, I, I treat seeing a psychologist as doing any of the other things that I have to do in my life. And there's obviously a few things that I probably have to do more or being more conscious of than maybe other people, but not really. It's all the same. But I'm just thinking if you, I was asking on a TEDx thing tomorrow, I really don't know whether I could do it from an anxiety point of view. And then if you said no, then is that, yeah, you, that goes through your head then of going, oh, like coward or I... you're not good enough. And so it really does, like, it really does send you through this like spiral of what is it okay to say no to? Whereas the whole parameters of society are saying it's TEDx, you've got to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's even I feel a bit guilty that I just didn't have this like super empowering epic experience like I feel but I'm just like nothing I think like you're allowed to feel how you feel and I think it's also I don't think one should feel guilty if they decline a TED talk or you have strategies in place to make sure you're comfortable in that space and to be like at the end of the day it's just another thing out there on the ether of the internet not everyone's going to have the number one ted talk yeah because is it a bit like we've spoke with regarding getting that car or landing that house or landing that partner is not going to give you like the the answer it's not going to make you feel it's what's inside you yeah 
So in a weird way, it's almost like an analogy for all that, right? That like it's yeah, whatever that is, it might be the mean the world to somebody, but not to everybody. Yeah. And you mentioned some of those strategies. Would you feel comfortable sharing maybe even just one strategy that you've used throughout your journey that has helped you? I so I do a lot of writing and I'll write if leaning up to things. Oh so leading up to my TED talk, I was like writing about it not a lot but just like whenever I just even sometimes I'd even just write you you're okay you've got this you've done the work just like breathe just like I find it easy for me if I even just write the things that like help me like to just remind myself to breathe and Mm. to just get fresh air and just sometimes I might write myself like almost like a mini checklist of just things to be aware of in the moment because you just you get so caught up in the thing that you may not be like you may if I had sat myself in the green room and just stayed in that green room the whole time before I performed I would have gone crazy Mm. but I knew to remove myself and take myself to a quieter space and just have space where I could I pace around a lot like during a comedy gig and stuff so it was just like ensuring that I did those little things So I think that's for me, like managing my expectations leading into it and not being hard on myself, which I like, and I will say I was hard on myself a little bit afterwards, but it was just like checking and being like, no, you, you actually are okay. You, you did this and nothing's ever going to be perfect, especially something you've not ever really performed. That was like comedy you do a hundred times, like before I did the raw final in Melbourne I'd done that gig I'd done that set nearly a hundred times so I was confident in that I knew that inside out whereas TEDx I didn't quite feel that like I'd studied it I'd practiced it I'd memorized it up until a point but it was like I'd never actually spoken it outside in a performance setting before So it was a whole different thing. So I was just like, oh, don't be hard. So I think it's just like little reminders to myself of it's going to be okay. You're okay. And for me, it's just like my biggest strategy is like writing and then annoying things, which I despise, like exercise and eating. (laughs) (laughs) Other things I hate doing, but I do them. And I, when I'm doing them, I do enjoy them. Yeah. I think that's a common trend, isn't it? Yeah. everyone doesn't like it until they do it and they go actually that was quite good yeah I you're like, it. I wanted to hate walking <laughs> well, one thing I want to touch on before we do a, a little uh, wrap up and quick fire questions is just you've got a book yeah I'd been approached by a, a Sydney based comedian who curated the series and there's six of us comedians oh. and yeah we could we were just given free reign we share our book so it's like I share with the 2020 Royal winner, Prue Blake. And so we could pretty much just write whatever we wanted on our section of the book. And I wrote about our, our random family holiday that we took to visit my dad's family in the States when we were 10 years old. Because it was the first time I was like having a conscious memory of my aunties and uncles and being like, oh, this is where all my weirdness comes from. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I just wrote a little kind of mini memoir, just not really anything profound, but I just wanted to write about that experience and my grandma and that sort of stuff. And yeah, so it comes out in, yeah, the end of, yeah, the 2nd of December. Or I think that's when it's starting to get printed. I'm not really, not too sure. But yeah. Yeah, nice. Quality. But uh, these lads are mental exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, Alex, to be honest, we're fed up with all the people that we get on the show. Every fucker that comes on is writing a book or <laughs> done a TEDx. So annoying. Inspirational is what it is. It's very inspirational. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We should, we should rename the podcast. Credit, credit to you. You've done, you're, you've done an amazing job, particularly in the last few years. And yeah, I feel like every time I see something of you, I'm like, gosh, you just uh, you're absolutely. Kidding. I know it's wild, hey. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to rush you, but I have to leave in five minutes. Is oh, that so be quite far questions? It'll take probably what ninety seconds. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Go. yeah sorry, I just don't want to. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, so the last section, Alex, is is our quick fire section. So we ask the same things of all of our guests. So there's four questions yeah. in total. So just yeah, whatever the first thing that pops into your head, just send it back. 
Number one, when are you at your happiest? When I'm at a gig in the mosh pit with my friends or on stage doing comedy. Love it. Next one is, what's your current mental health out of 10? I'd say it's a probably like about a seven just because I've had a lot of stuff. I've had a few like little CP niggly frustrating things. I get really frustrated because most of the time everything works pretty well. So mm. if something goes a bit off kilter, it can be annoying to work it out because it's just the way my brain works. Everything just takes a bit longer. So at the moment, I'd say it's like a seven-ish, but I'm like working on it. So it's good. I'm happy with that. It's not always, I'm never a 10 basically anyway. So yeah. I like that's a good solid score. And then where do you think the world is in terms of mental health awareness out of 10? Oh, I think it's pretty abysmal, sadly. Even yesterday I heard of someone, a family member of a woman I was meant to do a gig with died by suicide and I've had a lot of experience with suicide of friends and a few family members throughout my whole life and I think we me and my friends had a pretty horrific experience happen seven years ago where our best friend's boyfriend took his own life in our house and that really within our friendship group and within our wider friendship group really shifted like within ourselves we've become way more open about our mental health as a result of that and because he was only 24 it was a really horrible experience and he'd gone through a lot of stuff through his life so I think for me it's something I'm really open about I'm always happy to talk about I like there's a time and and a space and I think the best thing you can do is seek out any kind of professional help whatever that looks like for you and figuring it out but it's important to know that it nothing can be solved if we don't talk about it and we aren't open with it and that for me is mental health and I think there are shifts happening within smaller communities and things like this and I think governments and all that sort of thing need to catch up and actually provide us the services because there's a massive gap between someone wanting to seek support and actually seeking support or having access. So I think that's the biggest thing that I felt, like even just a financial disadvantage is so vast so people don't want to seek it out because they know it's going to be a financial burden. So I think for me that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Well said. And I think that's very solid advice. And yeah, you mentioned it on about going to psychologists bi weekly. At one point I was going weekly. And like it's fucking not cheap, hey? Like you get you get the government's 10 mental health plan, which seems great, and that goes pretty quickly. And gotta plow ahead. Now that's really appreciate you sharing that as well. And then the final question is if you had one piece of advice to give someone to that they could do every day to improve their own mental health, what would that be? I'd say just check in with yourself in whatever way that looks like. Just take, even for me, it's writing. So it's just like writing about the things I'm doing, the things I'm having done, like looking forward and just seeing, like writing down my feelings and stuff I'm thinking about around that. So I think that's just check in with yourself and try to be mind practice a bit of mindfulness like I don't meditate I'm not good at any of that stuff but I think just having a time in a space that I carve out and I it's not even a dedicated time it's just it's something I'm conscious of where I'm like oh I haven't checked in myself with myself for the last week so it's just like I then will do it in that moment I think that's for me yeah making time and just being like where am I at am I going good okay am I happy what what can I do to make myself feel better yeah that's great I know you're in a rush Alexandra can you just quickly let people know where to find you or if you want to reach Um, out to you or whatever yeah so probably the easiest way is Alexandra Hudson comedy on Instagram that's my handle I do have a website Alexandra Hudson comedy I think (laughs) dot (laughs) com I don't know how to update it my friend is teaching me. So if you want to see a gig I did in 2019, go on there. 
<laughs> on, it's on YouTube as well. I, I gig on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you Google me, I'm on my raw sets on YouTube and articles and other stuff. But uh, Instagram is where I update everyone on a consistent basis. So any, any upcoming gigs? Any gigs? No, just a few like smaller gigs around the place, like mm. leading up until the end of the year, just getting ready for the things ahead, really. Next year is going to be a big year. I'm doing Comedy Zone at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is a kind of residency for emerging comedians that's supported by the festival. Nice. Five in emerging comedians, and we perform every night except for one for the whole Melbourne Comedy Festival. So that look out for Comedy Zone in April 2023. Yeah. Hi, Epic. Excellent, right. Alexandra. Thank you very much for your Thank time. You so much. Thanks oh, so much for your time. And yeah, to all the listeners, go check her out next time she's in your town. Thank Honestly, you. be worth it. Absolutely. We'll have to come and see you next time as well when you're in Sydney. I would love that, for sure. Yeah, brilliant. I'm down for a proper run at the end of Feb. So at the end of Jen, start of Feb. So I'll let you know. I'll yeah. let us know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Best of luck, Alex. Thanks, Bye.